This is the Real Estate Shop, where each episode will bring you a top industry expert to share their current programs or projects that are making an impact in our communities today. Be sure to check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. In this episode of The Developers, we have the privilege of interviewing Bua Benite, principal of the D.C.-based Dante's Partners, one of a number of Black-owned development companies in Washington, D.C. Let's join in. So, Bua, I know you have a pretty you know, fascinating story about how you got into the industry and kind of how you've developed your firm. Love to for you to share that with uh, the general audience, you know, as we, we think about emerging developers trying to figure out, well, how do I leave my nine to five and get into real estate? Or, you know, um, how do I grow my, my parents' mom and pop development company into something bigger? Yeah, no, first and foremost, thank you all for being, thank, I said, thank you all for being here. No, I'm, I should be the one, thank you for, for allowing me to, to be here um, and, and, and share, share, um, share, share, share my story uh, with you all. Look, um, the first thing I would say is do not leave the nine to five. Uh, you want to keep the nine to five. The nine to five is essential uh, because, um, you know, um, I, I, I started out because I was very fortunate to have had the opportunity to work for some really, really good people. Right. And those interesting individuals worked on some very challenging projects. And it's those projects that for the most part sort of gave me my start and gave me the confidence to be an entrepreneur. Right. So I always say like, there's nothing better than learning on someone else's dime, right? It's like, you don't really have the money and you can go out there to sort of, you know, work with folks who have the money and more importantly, understand the business, right? So um, I was very fortunate because, you know, not only did I have an opportunity to work on projects and better understand how to move projects forward and the financing behind the projects, but I also understand that there's a business around it and if you're not if you're not focused on the business, it doesn't matter how your projects perform because you're just going to constantly find yourself being a hamster in the hamster wheel. So, look, um, the short answer is, I'm third generation real estate. Uh, my grandfather, my father passed on to me. Uh, initially, I was very reluctant to be in the real estate business because I wanted to do something very different than what the family had done. I, I basically sort of went around, you know, the, the earth, the moon and the stars several times to finally get to a place where I figured out that this is what I love to do. It was really a job that I had taken that I fell in love with. So, you know, you may or may not know I'm a very passionate guy and, you know, I only like to do the things that I love to do. And if I don't like it, if I don't love it, I'm not going to do it. So I fell into this job that was just a phenomenal job. and. It basically built, um, it was, it complemented all the skill sets that I had developed over the years. And, um, and that's, and it was from there that I said, I'm going to go educate myself a little bit more about this industry. I'm going to, you know, shadow the masters in this industry and, and learn from them to be able to, you know, be, be, be that next, you know, Steve, Steve Ross, be the next Chris Smith, be the next, you know, Victor McFarlane and Quentin Primo be the next, you know, the top folks that we, we all, we all grow to and aspire to be. So, so that's, that's sort of how I got here. Awesome. Awesome. 
when early on, when you got in, uh, how did you navigate some of the challenges of having to post your own guarantees and then ultimately, you know, building out your development team? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm still having challenges posting guarantees. Let's let's not yeah. <laughs> let's not let's not. <laughs> You know, the elusive, the elusive guarantee. Um, look, look, I was telling the group yesterday, I've always been a big believer in, in one, if you understand the business, right, it doesn't matter how, how, it doesn't matter, like, how much you know, right? If you understand, like, I was very fortunate to look at the business and regardless of the color of your skin, you still have to have experience. You still have to have liquidity and you still have to have a net worth. So we can say all the things that we want to say about the capital markets is concerned, which I'm sure we'll get into. But the bottom line is real estate is the most sort of objective business that you and I can ever be in because it's capital intensive. So if you've got the dough, you can play. If you don't have the dough, you're not going to be able to play. Bottom line. So I knew that going in. So, you know, I worked extremely hard to make sure that I was a master of the craft, right? I think we make really good developers, right? I, I, I educated myself on, on real estate finance and all that comes with. So the only thing that I did not have was, uh, for, if, you know, as far as a lender looking at me objectively was just the liquidity on the network. So part of the reason why I say don't leave your day job is because I worked extremely hard to save every single money I made. And that's, that's it. It's, it's just that simple. So from, from the earlier deals that we did, I mean, Kirby, you know, you, you have a consulting company. We, we, for the first six years of the firm, we did not do one development deal because I understood the business, right? If I had done a development deal at a very early age, I would own 0.01% of a deal. You know, you nobody got time for that. I don't, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for 0.01%. I want to own minimum of 50% and I want to own 100%, right? So I basically just stashed every single money that I made, like 90% of everything that, that, that we made and we just parked it in the bank account. We did a couple of really interesting deals and the money that we made from those deals Trust me, I was tempted. I was like, man, I could buy that Lamborghini right now. I could get me that <laughs> tomorrow, right? And meanwhile, I got to go hire top-notch staff. So I was like, ah, do I have, do I convince Corey Power to come on or, or do I go buy that Lamborghini? And guess what prevailed, right? The Lamborghini is clearly not something I still have to today. But I saved, we saved every single money we had because that's what allowed us to have the liquidity. And when we did deals, we held on to the assets such that when we walked into the bank, we could check all the boxes. So by us checking all the boxes and you still do not extend credit to me, now we know there's a different conversation that we have. But at least we could check the boxes. So that's the, the, a lot of the money that we made from, from, from years ago is still parked in the bank account because we need to satisfy the liquidity on the network. The other thing that I would say to about that is folks have to learn, you know, there's this thing we say in Nigeria, where I'm from, folks have to learn to cut their coat according to their size. And I believe in that firmly, which is 
Like, if you only have half a million dollars in a bank account, don't go do a 200-unit 200, a 200 deal. It, it doesn't, the math does not compute. And folks are always like, well, if, if I, you know, but there's a 200-unit deal, I should do the 200-unit deal. It's like, okay, cool, but <laughs> you can program the deal all you want, but when you go see the lender, you're not going to, you're not, you're not going to check that box, unfortunately. So we made a very cautious effort, and we still do as a firm. We make it a very cautious effort as a firm to not do transactions whereby we cannot leverage what we have today, right? I'm not going to go do a billion-dollar deal because guess what? My balance sheet, as much as I love to think that it can, cannot support a billion-dollar transaction. Eventually, it would, but as of right now today, it can't. So we know exactly what our cap is. And we stick to that cap until until we have more liquidity to be able to allow us to graduate to the next level. It's awesome advice. So um, what products have you done? And are there any ones that are particular, like your favorite ones that stand out to you? Man, it's like, it's like, which child is your favorite child, right? Um, look. <laughs> look, man, every, every <laughs> transaction, um, you know, and it's 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 weird, man, because I know this is being recorded. Like, if I see one, I can just hear someone calling me tomorrow and saying, "What? What do you mean that that's your favorite deal? I thought the deal we did is our favorite deal." And I'm I'm trying to figure out a way to answer this question. <laughs> um, I, I I always go back to one of my early early deals, right? It's it's um, it's a deal that I think really sort of changed the way it changed. It sort of gave me the confidence to stick to my own script and build a company that is mission driven. So what does that mean? It means that um, we could prove to the world that we are good developers. We could prove to the world that we're good stewards of money. We could prove to the world that we're good stewards of public resources. It could prove to the world that we can actually create a black and brown owned firm that can execute and execute on a very high level. Um, it can prove to the world that affordable housing does not have to be what you and I know to, to call the projects. It could actually be no different than your luxury housing. So that project that we experimented with is called Justice Park. So it's a project that um, it was a public disposition of, of, of government land. Uh, in a very high-cost neighborhood in the District of Columbia that we were fortunate enough to be awarded. So, you know, there's a whole story behind the award process. As you know, we all respond to RFPs. You got to campaign. You got you to, like, you know, compete extremely hard. But luckily for us, we were the only ones that bid to do an affordable housing project. Everyone who bid on the site was, like, high-end condo this, you know, luxurious condo, went and got architects from London to come and design the building. And we we're like, uh, yeah, we're just doing affordable housing. <laughs> and and we won the deal. But everyone was still looking at us with side-eye like, mm, I'm not sure if you have the money. I'm not, you know, I don't know. You know, pre-development was still a thing that, you know, we had to go solve for. And um, look, I, I called a very good friend of mine, Bowman Kitty. Because I didn't have all the money to activate the deal, Bo said yes. He wrote me a check on the spot. You know, I went back with the team. We 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 designed the project. We got it built. We got it leased up in record time. 
And that deal just changed the trajectory of the company. That, that was when it, that's when everything changed. That's when we started off, you know, we kicked off this luxury affordable housing um, theme that, that we, we see all the time, right? And it just sort of gave us the confidence with ourselves and with our partners that we could actually move a project. We can actually get a project done. So uh, Justice Park, I would say, is, is, was a defining project. Awesome. Awesome. I know you've, you've done a lot, you know, over the past couple of years since starting a business. Two part question. Why affordable housing out of, you know, retail office uh, market rate? And then second, um, talk to me about expanding beyond your immediate area to other markets and, and what that has looked like for you. Sure. Uh, so you heard me earlier talk about the fact that, look, um, I only do what I love. And I and I say that, you know, all the time, like I'm not. If I don't love the project, if I don't love, you know, the individuals that I'm going to, you know, spend time working with, I'm not, I'm not going to get involved. I always follow my heart. I follow my instincts with everything I do. Um, affordable housing is the same thing, right? It's a personal story to me. Like I got into this because, right? I, I tell people all the time. Um, I, I went to school in New York and after graduating from school, I could not afford to live in, in the city, even though I was making good money. And as a young man in New York City, I felt like I was on a curfew, right? Because I always had to catch the path train to go back to Jersey City. And I don't know about you, like, I don't like the idea of being in a curfew. I want to party all night and, and enjoy all that New York City after all. <laughs> that's what I want to do. And and the only thing that was getting in the way of me partying all night was was affordable housing. Right? So so it has always stuck with me since then. So um same thing, I moved to San Francisco. I lived in a hotel for, for six months because I couldn't find a decent place to live, you know, close to my 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 work, uh to my office. So um, you know. I had to get real creative to, that was actually my very first co-living opportunity. That was when I went and I rented an apartment building. I had no business renting and I went the very same day and put an ad in Craigslist so I can, I can chop it up into, into a four bedroom so I can, I can, I can afford the rent. And the same thing obviously happened to me when I moved to DC as um, I had to rent a, a bedroom and eventually moved to Laurel because I couldn't afford to live downtown. So it's always been in the back of my mind. And when I eventually fell into real estate, I basically said, I've got to solve this problem of individuals like myself making $60,000, $80,000 and wanting to, to enjoy all that downtown living had to offer without doing it, without spending 50% of my salary in rent. So, Right. And it's a it's a problem that I love solving till today. It never gets old. And that's why I do it. That's that's why I do it. That's why it's a personal story to me. As far as um, branching out into other others, other states, number one, the problem is a problem that needs solving in high cost neighborhoods. So thank goodness there's a lot of issues associated with providing affordable housing wherever you go. So. For us, it was just a natural progression because the, the business, the business. I don't need to prove. I don't need to prove to anybody that the problem exists. The problem exists in New York, and we just saw New York as a great market for us to sort of expand our, our tentacles. And it's been a phenomenal ride. It's been a phenomenal ride, phenomenal experience 
working out of New York City. Um, I like that city a lot. Um, and, and I'm, I'm just glad that, um, we are put in a position to help solve that problem in New York. And we, we're building a team. My goal is, and I see it happening that the, the, the New York team is going to get larger than the DC team in very short order. And, um, yeah. And hopefully we'll be able to find other cities that we can do the same in as well. With the traveling and managing two teams, how are you uh, practicing self-care? And then also how are you kind of managing a household, keeping the wife happy and kids and such? So let me, let me, let me, let me start with self-care. So self-care, um, you know, I, I kind of think of myself as an athlete anyway. Um, I've always felt that way. So, um, I've, you know, for me, pushing myself physically means that I can push myself mentally. So I'm an avid cyclist. I, I bike all the time. And in the pandemic, I picked up running for the first time in my life. I've never, ever ran. So I just started running and I, I don't love it at all, frankly. Um, it's one thing I don't love, but yet I keep coming back to it because, um, I like, I like the fact that, um, it's really pushing me physically. Um, and, and, and I love, you know, I love a good challenge. So not only so then I picked up, I picked up running and I also picked up boot camp classes. So all of those sort of physical activities have really, really sort of, um, helped me become a lot more disciplined, a lot more focused and just basically like, you know, like, really, you know, building my confidence level to the point where I feel like I can truly do anything that I've set my mind to. So from a self-care standpoint and, and also do it now answering your question, right. You should see my house sometimes in the mornings, right? Like in the early mornings, like we are all one day a week, we all work out together, even though they don't like working out with me because they think I'm, I'm like, you know, this drill sergeant, right. Um, but one day a week, we all work out together. But every day, everybody is 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 in this make, makeshift gym that we created where everybody's working out. Uh, everybody has to work out every day. So that's how we, we find the things that we like, that we like or we have commonality in to do together. And we've always done that, right? So even a, a, a drive to school can be a very fun ride because we love listening to music. Right. So the 20 minutes or 30 minutes that we spend in the car are really precious 20 minutes because we're sitting down there trying to best each other in terms of who's got the best playlist. Right. Like we're, we're doing that right now. So so as a family, um, you know, as a family, we 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 look for the things. Like I said, we look for the things where we have common interests and and we basically continue to build on those things. Um, look. They, they are a part of the journey, right? And the truth of the matter is, um, this is what I love to do. And I'm very, very blessed that I have, um, a great family support system that is supportive of my dream to solve this problem that we know is out there. And they're part of, they're part of the journey. They come to the construction sites. They travel with me sometimes to New York City. You know, and they have to suffer through all the occupational hazard um, that they that, you know, that I put them through. You know, like I can't just walk down the street without like looking at a construction site or looking at the brick or looking at the fenestration. Right. So they they 
they understand that this is this is part of me and and um I'm very very lucky and fortunate to to have you know a support system that is very very um very excited i mean I don't know if you know we just we just closed we just closed forty million dollars right so we gotta put that out in the street. They were very well aware when I was ch- you know we've been chasing that elusive money you know it, it was a carrot for a very long time and and I finally plucked that carrot <laughs> so so um so you know they're part of the journey they they, they they they're part of the journey they understand they see it and and when you win. They, 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 they cheer, they cheer us on such that we can continue to do more. And hopefully they too are able to see that anything is possible, right? With, 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 with them. So we'll see, you know, talk to me in five years or 10 years and hopefully they still like me and they still want me to be their father. <laughs> so, you know, we'll see. That, that's a very good segue. Cause uh, the next question was, you know, where do you, you see yourself in the company in like, say the next five years? Look, my goal right now is to foster the next generation of black millionaires. That's all I want to do. I want to create as many black millionaires as I possibly can. I think so far my track record is looking good. Um, I only want to read reports five years from now. I keep telling everybody. I, I, I'm the latest developer you ever come across um i don't i don't actually don't like working (laughs) um but i just want to be able to i want to create i want to create a company of companies whereby i have i've i've had an opportunity to nurture some exceptional talent and they can sort of run each of the silos and i'm just a chairman right like that's that's what, you know, I'm actually surprised that every now and then I'm able to add value to the organization because I've, you know, Dante's partners and all the family, we have some really, really sharp, hardworking, exceptional human beings that have sort of taken this mission on and, and taken it to the next level. So all I want to do is just support them in their growth and, and in their family's growth, in their wealth growth and health growth such that they can sort of go create all the black millionaires as well. So that's that's what I want my legacy to be. I want my legacy to be like, oh, you can point to a lot of people that that have um, prospered just because um, I, you know I, I had an opportunity to 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 affect or impact their lives positively. And I remember t- I tell people uh, you gave us our first shot, right, as a consulting company. And I think 2011, when you're looking at that site in Southeast. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, last question. Um, if you were to do it all over again, what would you do differently? The only thing that I would do differently is I would have started investing earlier on. Like the whole concept of I don't have money to invest or I don't, I don't think I'm wealthy enough to have a financial planner is the biggest mistake that we can ever make. Um, you know, and I'm sure you, you, all, you all can relate to this, right? I, we don't have dinner conversations where we talk about money as a culture. It's just not something that, that, that we do within our, within our culture, right? So the whole idea of, of saving, the whole idea of investing is the one thing that I really, really wish um, I did at an early age 
Because if I just invested $10 or $100 a month consistently for, 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 for 10 years, which flies by very quickly, uh, I don't even know if I would be doing this podcast right now, to be honest with you. I'd be like, what, Kevin? Nah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm chilling. I'm drinking my margarita. I'm, I'm relaxing, you know, like, <laughs> don't, don't bother me. <laughs> I'm not working. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, you know, but nah, that's, 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 that's basically it. That's, that's basically it. That's, that's the only thing I'll do differently. Everything else will be the same. Sweet, man. Um, any last comments you want the emerging developers to know? Food for thought? Listen, the opportunities are vast. And no better time than now to be a black developer in America, as far as I'm concerned. No better time than now. Like, if you don't come out of COVID by adding an extra zero behind your, your, your existing net worth, that's, that's on you. The opportunities are way vast. And, and, um, and, and, and there's a, there's a, there's a moment right now, a reawakening that we hope continues so long as we continue to perform and, you know, just go out and get it. Like, go out and get it. Like, don't look at like, and like, just go out and get it is what I always tell people. Like, there isn't any, op- I mean, Kevin, you know, there isn't any opportunity that we come in contact with that we don't chase. Not, especially if we feel like we can win it. So go out and get, the opportunities are vast. It's, it's, it's just an amazing time right now. So please, you know, take, a, take advantage and, and, and use this opportunity to, to do some amazing things. So that's, that's all I have to say. Another day at the shop. Content they can't get anywhere else.